Good morning, everybody. Good morning and welcome to this, our first service of the year 2020 here at Essex Church. We are Kensington Unitarians and we welcome all who walk through our doors, especially our visitors and returning friends today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the unique gifts you bring to this community by choosing to be here this morning. Do you know you could be heading out for the January sales? But no, you've chosen to be here, knowing perhaps that there is much in life that money can't buy, much in life that is priceless. Here, we value community, the deliberate choosing to be together with others knowing that together we can achieve so much more than when we are alone. So in this time that we'll spend together, we can open ourselves to the power of transformation, to fresh insights and new ideas. Because religious community offers both comfort and challenge. The opportunity to see life from new perspectives and fresh points of view. A Unitarian community won't tell us what to believe or what to think, but it will remind us that life is precious and that all are equal and that what we say and what we do and how we choose to live our lives really make a difference. So let's open ourselves to the possibility of transformation this morning. Let's take a moment to allow ourselves to settle to fully arrive in the here and now. Having made the choice to be here today, let's make that connection, a connection with ourselves, a connection with one another, and a connection with that which we hold to be divine, the God of our hearts and our understanding. Brian Keeley writes about our chalice flame connecting us with Unitarian communities the world over. He writes, In times of darkness, we stumble towards the tiny flame. In times of cold, we seek the warming fire. In times of repression, we reach for the lamp of truth. In times of loss, we pray for the comforting light. In times of joy, we light a candle of celebration. Spirit of life, as we kindle this light, help us find what we need this day. Welcome, welcome all of you. Well, we have, um, we've been told, haven't we, since childhood, never to judge a book by its cover. And, and even more so, don't ever buy a book just because of the title. But if you knew this title, wouldn't you buy this book? It's called, Who Ordered This Truckload of Dung? <laughs> 
and it's by a, a really interesting Buddhist monk who, who describes himself as coming from the wrong side of the tracks in London. I don't know which tracks those are particularly. Um, and, and how then a scholarship got him to Cambridge University where he earned a degree in theoretical physics. And now he's a well-regarded teacher in the Buddhist communities of uh, Australia. And, and they are funny, some of these. So this chapter is called Predicting the Future. Many people would like to know the future, he writes. Some are too impatient to wait for it to happen, so they seek out the service of oracles and fortune tellers. Meditating monks are regarded as excellent fortune tellers, but they usually don't cooperate easily. One day, a long-serving lay disciple of Ajahn Chah asked the great master to predict his future. Ajahn Chah refused. Good monks don't tell fortunes. Oh, but that disciple was determined. He reminded Ajahn Chah of how many times he'd offered him food and money, how many donations he'd made to the monastery, how he had chauffeured Ajahn Chah in his own car at his own expense to the neglect of his work and his family. Ajahn Chah saw that this man was determined to get his fortune told. So he said that for once he'd make an exception to the no fortune telling rule. Give me your hand, he said. Let me see your palm. The disciple was thrilled. Ajahn Chah had never read palms for any other disciple. This was special. Moreover, Ajahn Chah was regarded as a saint with psychic powers. Whatever Ajahn Chah said, surely it would happen. So Ajahn Chah traced the lines on the disciple's palm with his own index finger. And every so often he would say to himself, oh, oh, that's interesting. Or, well, well, well. Or, amazing. The poor disciple was in a frenzy of anticipation. And when Ajahn Chah had finished, he let go of the disciple's hand and said to him, Disciple, this is how your future will turn out. Yes, yes, the disciple said quickly. And I am never wrong, added Ajahn Chah. I know, I know. Well, what's my future going to be? The disciple uttered in ultimate excitement. Your future will be uncertain, said Ajahn Chah. <laughs> and he wasn't wrong. <laughs> So let's take that now into a time of prayer for the old year and the new. Let's ready ourselves for quiet time. And let's call on that spirit of life and love to be with us now and to bless all that we do and say together here this day. As we begin this new calendar year, let us give thanks for the year that has passed. Even if it was filled, as most years are, with challenges and demands. Let us honour what the old year brought us and find a way to lay to rest both its joyous and its troublesome aspects. Though we know that the future cannot be predicted, 
Yet we also know how human it is to have our hopes and our fears for the times that lie ahead. May we be blessed with peaceful hearts and comforted minds, whatever we are facing. And may we find the resources to deal with whatever life brings our way. Let's pause for this moment in stillness as our earth spins onwards. Let's rest in not knowing, in uncertainty, awaiting that which will unfold in life. And as we turn our attention to the matters of the world, let us particularly pray for our world leaders that they might step back from violence and find other ways to resolve complex issues. May we hold in loving awareness all those in anguish this day, all those for whom life is a struggle over which they have little or no control. Let's hold in loving awareness those facing terrifying fires, those living under tyrannous regimes, those too frightened to express who they truly are. And may we do what we can with what we have to ease the sufferings of others this day and all days. Amen. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was born. 
When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another path. Three kings from Persian lands afar for a quiet time now. There'll be a few words leading us into a time of meditation and uh, then we'll share a good few minutes of silence together and that will come to an end with um, a chime from our bell. So let's settle ourselves in whatever way works for us, perhaps holding on or letting go of anything we don't need to hold on to. Perhaps enjoying that feeling of our feet on the floor and that sense of sinking down into the earth, the earth on whom we spend our days. Allowing the gentle rhythm of our breathing to help us turn inwards, 
aware of the sounds in the room and the sound outside on the streets, yet able to focus for a while on ourselves and perhaps some inner voice. And in this time, if you wish, I invite you to think about times in your own life when you have lost or found your way. For this is what it is to be human, isn't it? To periodically go through times of feeling very lost. Each of us will have stories, literally, of being lost, of losing our way and not being able to read the map. And most of us know lost as metaphor, as a place of uncertainty, of confusion, perhaps. And again, most of us will have experienced the sense of finding our path, finding our way. And the joy, or perhaps sometimes the trepidation that that brings us. Let's share a good few minutes in stillness and silence now as we consider the times of losing and finding our way in life. Good morning, everyone. I once, um, many years ago, read a text, possibly Hindu, that said the first third of our life is for our parents, the second for our children, and the third for ourselves and our preparation for death. This somewhat arbitrary separation came to my mind when I was thinking about being lost and found. And uh, to use an analogy from engineering, thank you Brian, my bearings were poorly machined, badly oiled, nearly completely seized, and at last are now running mostly smooth.
In the first third of my life, my mother died suddenly when I was around three years old and subsequently was never spoken of by my father. I cope with this loss by conforming to other people's expectations of me, a process which was refined during 12 years of boarding school education. My father was the provider for this, but he was emotionally unavailable. A further five years in medical school trained me in observing and managing other people's pain and distress while actively encouraging the development of professional detachment. During this time, in the late 60s and early 70s, an introduction to cannabis gave me an additional separation from the sad and lonely child within. The middle third was spent becoming a father to three children and further defining myself by my external life as a doctor. In this, I was successful. But behind the confident and competent facade, the three horsemen of addiction were slowly picking up speed. First, the mental obsession to avoid personal emotional discomfort. Second, the physical compulsion to use external factors to change how I felt through work, drugs, money, sex, status, add your own list. And underlying it all, the spiritual void characterized by self-centeredness and the denial of my own need for care and healing. This process led me to taking on more and more work, destroying my first marriage, and then living with the guilt surrounding the estrangement from my children. Increasingly indiscriminate and addictive self-medicating led to an overdose and my physical and mental collapse. I could no longer work and suicide seemed the only viable option to cope with my shame and despair. And so alone I entered the third part of my journey. I could no longer deny that I was suffering from a life-threatening condition for which I needed help. And I slowly started to listen to the experience of others who freely shared their losses and more importantly, the simple but often difficult steps they had taken in order to find a new way to live. And at this critical point in my life, God made an appearance. I had been an occasional attender at Quaker meetings, often finding a measure of calm in the silence. But as a scientist, I placed myself firmly at the atheist end of the agnostic spectrum. But the third step of the 12-step recovery program, but at that time I was then following, required me, well suggested strongly, that I made a decision 
to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. Well, I thought, this is not going to work for me because I didn't and I still don't believe in God as described in any of my reading or by attending endless church services as a child. But the gift of desperation is a powerful motivator and I wanted to continue my recovery journey using these steps. After initial over-analysis, this became much easier and I, by substituting the word higher power for the God word. And now, after 20 years, I now find I can access my loving higher power if I will only stop and just be present. It's there in my recovery meetings, in my relationships, my work, digging in our allotment, and more recently, becoming part of this Unitarian Fellowship. I finish with some words passed on to me by my dear wife and best teacher, Pat. She loves the simple wisdom of Ram Dass, rest in peace, and this mantra in three parts was given to Ram Dass by his guru, Maharajiji, and pretty well sums up what I've found on my spiritual journey. And I slightly modify it. Love everyone, but start with yourself. Serve everyone, but keep it simple. Remember God, whatever that word means to you. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, John, for that reflection on this theme of lost and found. And if, if any of that has a particular resonance with you, there is, there's John, there's a number of people in this congregation who are great listeners and would want to hear your story. So don't keep any difficulty that you don't want to keep to yourself, to yourself. I've, I've got a, a different version of, of lost and found to uh, tell and again I wonder if it resonates with any of you I called mine being honest with ourselves and I need to take you back to a morning some 40 years ago now I was 25 and I was on my way to work and my feet were really painful the kind of pain that you can't ignore and I remember vividly still how my thought processes went that morning my feet are hurting i don't want to go to work this job isn't me really is it it makes me anxious and and i don't like the flat we've just moved into and i'm i'm not even sure about the person i've just bought the flat with is this what it's like to be an adult you just put up with things not feeling quite right. Well, within a couple of months, I'd left that job, ended the relationship. We were in the process of selling the flat that we bought. 
My life was going to take off in some new and far more positive directions, but whoa, it didn't feel like it at the time. I felt very lost and very ill. My painful feet on the walk to work that day were the start of rheumatoid arthritis, and I became very ill indeed. And it, it took me years to really make sense of what had happened to me. And to this day, I, I can't be sure that my getting ill was in any way linked with the life decisions that I'd made. But it seems to me that they were connected, and making that connection has really served me well. Um, I'd taken on a, a prestigious and well-paid job in the civil service, and I very quickly realised that it was not the right job for me. But I had no idea how to get out of the hole that I'd just jumped into so eagerly. Some signs were there on the very first day. I could not quite believe that first day that I had to sit at a desk all day long. I realised now it was foolish of me not to have asked that question. Nor that I could hardly see the sky out of the window because of all the tall city buildings round the office. And I couldn't open the window to get some fresh air. I never thought to ask, oh, is there air conditioning in this building? I was working as a government press officer, and I soon discovered that my job was to make the government look good, no matter what the truth was. My relationship and the flat we bought together just didn't feel right. But again, I didn't know what to do about it. But my body becoming ill forced me to take action. It gave me the strength to admit to myself the truth and then to others that I was unhappy and that I wanted, needed life to be different. Since that day when I was finally able to be honest with myself about my feelings, I've had many conversations with other people who've had similar experiences of life encouraging them or sometimes forcing them to take a long, hard look at the direction they're travelling in and to do some reassessment. Our freedoms to make choices in life may sometimes lead us in directions that are not best for us. We sometimes lose our bearings altogether and feel completely lost and confused. We make mistakes, our judgment is faulty, and we sometimes may not have all the information we need. Believe me, every job since then, I've checked that the window's open. <laughs> and I've, I've learned to make a bit of space around decision-making, to soothe that impetuous part of me that rushes in, and give her a bit of time to consider a wider picture. I've, I've learned to stop a bit more in life and to reassess and I've developed friendships and professional relationships with people who know me well and who can ask the right sorts of questions are you sure about this Sarah and I'm left with profound respect for the many many people in this world who have to put up with less than ideal circumstances and let's just think of all those people for a while. Most people can't leave a job and find another one. Homes that are really less than adequate. Relationships that they know to be wrong. Governments, families, neighbourhoods, illness and disability, education systems. 
There's a lot that cannot be changed in this world. Though, of course, there are things that can be. What was it that Viktor Frankl wrote after his experiences during the Holocaust? Everything can be taken from us, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Well, that is proving to be a lifelong learning for me. Amen. Philosopher Alain de Botton writes that feeling lost, crazy and desperate belongs to a good life as much as optimism, certainty and reason. So in the week ahead, let's reach out to those who feel lost, crazy and desperate with love and solidarity here together on our blue boat home, that the ways of life might support rather than overwhelm us, and that we might fully appreciate the journey, however unexpected the direction of travel turns out to be. Amen. Amen. Go well and blessed be.